Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A word from Daniel chapter 1. The king told Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some young Israelite men from the royal family or from the nobility. He was to choose young men who had no blemish, who were good-looking, who had insight into all kinds of wisdom, who possessed knowledge, understanding, and learning, and who were capable of serving in the king's palace in order to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them daily rations from the special royal food and from the king's own wine. He ordered that they should be trained for three years. At the end of training, they were to serve the king. In this group of young men were the Judeans Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Chief of the officials gave them new names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah the name Shadrach, Mishael the name Meshach, and Azariah the name Abednego. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the special food of the king or with the wine that he drank. So he sought permission from the chief official so that he would not have to defile himself. God made the chief of the officials favorable and sympathetic toward Daniel. Then the chief of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces looking less healthy than those of the other young men who are your age? You put my life at risk before the king. Daniel said to the superintendent, whom the chief of the officials had placed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Tell them to give us only vegetables, and we will eat them and drink water. Observe our appearance and the appearance of the young men who eat the special royal food. Then deal with your servants based on what you see. So he listened to what they said about this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance was noticeably better than that of the others. They were healthier than any of the young men who had been eating the special royal food. So the superintendent permanently took away the special royal food and the wine they were to drink and gave them only vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and insight into all kinds of literature as well as wisdom. In addition, Daniel also understood every kind of vision and dream. At the end of the time, which the king had set for them to be brought to him, the chief of the officials brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them, and none of the others were found to be comparable to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they served the king in every matter concerning wisdom and understanding that the king sought from them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and spellcasters in his entire kingdom. So Daniel remained there, until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of the Lord. Dear friends, can you picture yourself doing this with a king's banquet placed before you, with portions and pickings from the king's own table, the empire of the only world you know, a global empire, of Babylon at its time. Why would anyone in his right mind refuse to eat the food of a king? 
Well, Daniel and his friends refused to eat food fit for a king. Why? Not health benefits, not dislikes, not a political statement. Was it their age? Were they just picky eaters? Is that what this was all about? No, if anything, it may be the first and the last time that a teenage boy has refused a meal. That's about the age category that we're in. No, they refused because they wanted to hold to the old covenant because they knew the one true God and what his ordinances were in the Old Testament. The old covenant came with its dietary restrictions of land animals with split hoof and chewed cud. If you wanted bird, you would avoid the scavenger kind. If you wanted fish, only with fins and scales, etc. Now add to that, the blood must be drained properly under those dietary regulations. But probably, probably the most threatening thing in Babylon for these young Jews who wanted to hold tightly to their faith was the fact that um, <clears throat> the Babylonian food had probably been sacrificed to other animal, to other gods, to false gods, to idols. And eating it would seem to unite them to that religion. And so, Daniel especially made up his mind, literally decided, kept it in his heart, not to be defiled with these royal delicacies and fine wine. And for Daniel, the truth was more important than the consequences. Daniel and his friends experienced, because of this, how God stands by his children who guard their conscience. How, how God sticks with them, those who stay true to him. And so this first episode of tension in the book of Daniel, and there would be several, this first one is resolved without civil disobedience. God's children didn't need to disobey the government in order to obey God. Instead, a solution comes to them through using the avenues of government as a public remedy for their needs of faith. They use the avenues of government. And this is how God wants his believers to consider unhealthy or, or maybe irreligious ordinances that are placed upon them. First and foremost, before you, you cast your die at the Rubicon and you take your stand and say, we must obey God rather than men in this space that's approaching threatening our faith, you know what God wants believers to do? He wants believers to use government when you can. Use it. I think sometimes we talk about obeying government so much, so unquestioningly, that we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't totally recede from any kind of public service, as if to say that's bad, or as if to say getting involved in politics is bad. That doesn't mean we want to take a political stand in our church, but God does want believers to use political avenues and secular arguments, secular arguments at times, in order to maintain this space for the church, for the good of religious freedom. So let's get into that, because when God says he wants believers to use government, he provides it and he blesses it. First of all, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were, were people to know. 
if you were in Israel, they were of noble blood, perhaps even of the royal family. Maybe they knew what had happened to a relative, the king, the good King Josiah, who was, who was supposed to be this really special thing and faithful to the Lord he was, except politically he sided with the wrong group, the Egyptians, and ended up getting killed young in battle, in warfare. And the Egyptians themselves were defeated that summer in Carchemish when the Babylonians swept through with their crown prince Nebuchadnezzar and who continued southward to destroy and take over to conquer Syria and the, what we consider the Holy Land, what we consider Israel. And, and, um, and those areas, even Judah and Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar conquered through. These four youth were really strapping young lads. They were intelligent, they were smart, they had wisdom beyond their years, they were educated royally, but there was one problem. They were no longer in their own country. They were taken off in this empire's conquering. They did, however, find themselves on the short list of King Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't looking for this, nor were they looking for trouble, but they were pressed into his labor, and they were at his disposal. And good thing that he didn't want to torture them or maim them or destroy them. Instead, Nebuchadnezzar wanted a dream team of wise men from all over his empire. And so he started a training program to put them to good use and to eventually get them into advisory roles. We get a sense that this isn't just Israelite boys. This was young men from all over the new empire. So he renamed them after his gods, not theirs. He gave them his literature, language, and wisdom, not theirs. And he wanted them eating well, like with meals fit for the kings, not like others. Daniel and his friends went with the name change. In fact, usually we still call those three friends of Daniel by their Babylonian names. I'm not exactly sure why. We usually say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego instead of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But um, they were okay with that. They were okay with learning language and literature without falling into false beliefs. Moses had done this 900 years before in the Egyptian palace without threatening his faith. In fact, through that whole thing, staying quite close to his faith. But they couldn't bring themselves to eat the unclean food. This didn't mean a few things. This didn't mean they grabbed their torches and pitchforks. This didn't mean they broke free and started a rebellion. But this did mean that Daniel petitioned a high official with an honest question, can we please just not eat that food? And the high official, God had caused to be favorable to them. And so he wasn't upset by the question, but he was upset by the idea of losing his head because if they ate not as healthy as the rest, the king would notice and the king would have his head. So the answer was initially no. So they went to a lesser magistrate, to a superintendent of some kind who was somehow responsible for the food. And um, they went with this secular argument. Daniel said, roughly, can we eat water and veggies for 10 days? And by the way, that Hebrew word for veggies would have included grains, things that are sown. So bread would have counted and, and maybe other baked goods. So it maybe wasn't quite as vegan as it sounds, but still, 
They're, they're not looking for the meat that maybe wasn't drained properly. They weren't looking for the foods that were sacrificed to idols. Just give us the vegetables and breads and water. And you know what? Just for 10 days. And just see what happens. See what happens to me and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over here. And, and we'll, we'll let you be the judge. Some say Christians aren't known for grace anymore. Not in the public square anyhow. And we may, may not think that Christ believers are as favorable to public officials today. There's probably some truth to that. But remember, remember this. Grace is God-given. And based on how you behave and the way you let your light shine, government may once again be favorable towards Christians. And that would be, that may be God's hand. That would be the work of God. He can still make public servants favorable and sympathetic to believers. Government itself is God-given. And God wants us to see it, as we read in Romans 13 earlier, God wants us to see government as a good thing. The government that exists has been established by God. There's no government that hasn't been, that is established, that hasn't been established by God. We should see government as an extension of God's loving rule of grace over each and every one of us. Something for us to think about when we grumble and groan about this speed limit over here, about that rule or an ordinance over there. So this is, this is healthy for us to think about that he's established those authorities. And while it's healthy for the church not to pick political favorites um, and turn people off and send people away because, you know, pastor, some of us have stories. I've heard stories where pastor preached for this or that particular party and you better vote for this guy and that was the last time our family went to that church. And that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. But you know what? Christians, in, in the form of government that we're in, because we do get a say, because we do get to pull a lever, so to speak, it's important and it's healthy for Christians to seek public remedy for the needs of believers and the church using secular arguments. And I didn't make this up. This comes from our Lutheran Confessions. The Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 16, is pretty heavy on this. I'll quote paragraph 59. Public remedy which is made through the office of the magistrate is not advised against, but it is commanded, and it is a work of God. Uh, later, a few more paragraphs later, good consciences can never be satisfied unless they know that it is lawful for a Christian to make use of civil ordinances and laws just to the extent that the magistrates or laws approve them. And, um, and our Wells commentator on that once said, um, a seminary president said, it may even happen that a law is unfair or that it is enforced in an unfair way. Government officials are all human, and as such, subject to error, to bias, to plain malice. We know that. This naturally is not to the advantage of our country. What then should a Christian do? He may use every legitimate means at his disposal to remedy conditions. Above all, he, he will pray for his government, as Paul reminded us in his first letter to Timothy. So every legitimate means of... Um, at our disposal to remedy conditions. What would that include? Well, it may include voting your conscience. Absolutely. 
voting your conscience. It would absolutely include asking your homeowners association if legal action is really necessary over the color of your external windowsill or the placement of that tree over there. Maybe have a conversation that could alleviate some of those structures of punishment. It may include retaining a, a defense attorney from someone persecuting you. I taught at a high school once who had put to bed a legal case that had gone on for years, one of our um, Wells high schools, and it had fallen out from discipline that was taken from two young ladies on campus, students who wanted to carry on a romantic relationship. And the school fought against that and said, we, we have the right to discipline, and they eventually won the case. And a lot of people would see that as unfair or unchristian to even take up the case, but this is exercising the good Christian freedoms that God has given us in government. It may even include taking action when it comes to libel about you. It may include obtaining a religious exemption from a mandated medication that comes from a place against your values. It may mean keeping church doors open in the event that public officials try and force them closed because you know of a law that safeguards churches. Anything in this representative democracy which is approaching but not yet quite at the point of forcing believers to obey God rather than men, well, for those things, believers should make full use of government and via secular arguments to remedy conditions. Maybe not from the pulpit, but in our, in our private lives and maybe in Christian organizations. One pastor tells about his church member's surgery that didn't go so well. The surgical team inadvertently left a couple of sponges inside the patient, who was a Lutheran. Lutheran didn't sue. He set up a follow-up surgery to remove the foreign objects. He discovered they billed him for the second surgery. That's when he sued. And God blesses those legal recourses, those public efforts at redress and, and remedy for an unfavorable condition. I mean, was there something in the water? Were, were the vegetables in Babylon a superfood, or was it a miracle? Because you know what they noticed after 10 days with Daniel and his friends? They were stronger, they were more vigorous, they were healthy and better nourished than the trainees who ate from the king's own table. Well, didn't Jesus Christ once say, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God gave ample evidence that he was blessing the four young Jewish exiles. They were gifted students to begin with, and now God blesses faithful ones with more understanding and wisdom than their teachers. So the kings thought they were ten times better, ten times better than everyone else in the whole kingdom. And that statement seems to go not just from the training program, but into their positions that he gave them, their high positions. It was the rare ability, not just an accumulation of facts, but the rare ability to apply those things and judge between right and wrong, truth from falsehood, narrative from reality. Daniel and his friends were gifted by God. And the chapter closes on a surprising note. Um, I'll read that last verse. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel, the man who was captured and deported by Babylon 
to this great empire outlived the very global empire that had brought him there in the first place. You know what else? His faith outlived all empires because it's the same faith that you and I have in the same Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ outlives all empires, which are tools, which are his servants, to provide what is good in places. And though they err and they sin, God still gives believers what they need in the appropriate time. Jesus, our Savior, made use of the law to become our substitution, to be our scapegoat. His Father gave power from above to Pontius Pilate and to High Priest Caiaphas and to those hands that were responsible to put his life over to the cross, to the worst punishment imaginable, death by the wrath of God that you and I deserved for our sins of disobeying government and at times not using government. Jesus has forgiven those. But this legal mishandling was carried out for each and every one of us because you and I are citizens of a kingdom where Jesus lives. And from his life beams life for you and for me. From his forgiveness declares forgiveness full and free. And in the gospel, a righteousness, a righteousness is found a new court, a court where you are declared not guilty and free to use all kinds of things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.